Well, good morning, everyone. I want to say welcome to worship again to you. I want to say good morning to those of you who are joining us right now by video. If you are in our traditional service or you're watching online, welcome. It's great to be here with you. I'm glad that we all have this opportunity to be connected together, to be learning from God's Word together, to be growing in the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. We're starting a new series today. This is kind of a fall kickoff Sunday. It's the start of a lot of things here in Minnesota. The seasons change, don't they? And even summer, it's not over yet. I promise it's not over yet, but we're kind of moving into a different season of the fall. And we're starting a new series today. It's called Breakthrough. It's called Breakthrough. And in this series, we're going to be learning about the breakthrough of God in our lives, how we break through from less than the fullness of life, from where we feel like we're stuck into the life that Jesus offers us, into receiving the breakthrough of God in our lives. And I thought I would start today to give you kind of a little image, an illustration, an example of how breakthrough in our lives happens and also how it doesn't happen. I want to tell you a story of one of the only times that I can remember, one of the very few times that I've actually taken a bet in my life. I was a sophomore in high school. Now, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might be thinking, didn't Danny Householder tell a story about his sophomore year in high school? This is a lot alike except a whole century before, different (laughs) centuries for our sophomore years in high school, right, Danny? I was on the track team. We had that in common. And uh, it, was the, it was my sophomore year. It was the first track meet of the year. And I was listed for the mile race. And then after that, for the two-mile race, which is almost the end of most track meets. I'd had a good season in cross country in the fall. And I played basketball all winter. This was the first track meet of the season. And I was looking forward to this mile race. It actually was the first time I was going to just contest a single mile on a track. And I wasn't sure how it would go, but I'd done a lot of running. I was comfortable with the distance. And it was about half an hour until the race. And I was kind of jogging some warm-up with some other people from my school who were signed up and listed for that race. One of them was a freshman, ninth grader, you know, kind of first year in high school. And he was excited about it. He hadn't run cross country. I knew him, but didn't know him that well. He was kind of a big talker, if you know what I mean. And I asked him as we were running, I'm like, so, I mean, how fast do you think you might go? What time are you going to shoot for? And he said, I'm going to, I'm going under four minutes. I'm going to break four minutes. I was like, okay, all right. And now, for those of you who don't know the history, uh, at that point, no high school runner had broken four minutes in the mile for like 40 years, right? Roger Bannister in England, they made movies about this stuff. So I just like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not, I'm sorry. And he's like, oh yeah, I did. I did it in gym class last year. Our teacher had us run around outside, we did the mile, and I broke four minutes last year. I'm definitely going to do it now. Uh, and he says, you want to bet? I'll bet you 20 bucks I do it. And there were a couple of albums I wanted on cassette tape. Uh, and you could get almost three for 20 bucks then. And so I, I took that bet and we just kind of kept warming up and the race came and uh, I won that race in a little bit over five minutes. And I think I might've lapped him in a four lap race. Uh, and, uh, but, but I did not break four minutes either. I, I was just over five minutes. I didn't break four minutes that day. I never broke it before that. I never broke it after that. I never will. The only way anybody I know is ever going to break four minutes in the mile is with the assistance of a motor vehicle, right? It was just (laughs) that level of breakthrough, if you will, breaking the tape like that is not possible by my power, was not going to happen. I needed something more. And and in in case you're curious, I actually never took the kid's money. It was like candy from a baby. It wasn't fair. (laughs) His his gym teacher probably said, run around the parking lot. It's a mile. You know, it just... (laughs) It, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. <laughs> I, I wish that in my own life, that was the only barrier that I could not break through, right? I wish life was not full of other things where I am stuck, where my power is not up to the breakthrough. But the fact of the matter is, for me, 
And I would guess, maybe even bet, <laughs> for many of you too, life is full of these barriers that we are just not breaking through by our own power. There's a, there's a place in the Gospels, in the New Testament of the Bible, these are the life stories of Jesus. There's a place where Jesus said to his first followers, words that he could just as well have said to us, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Or another translation says, life abundantly. You don't have to answer this out loud, but let me just ask you to answer for yourself. Is that where you're living? Life to the full? If somebody slapped a life meter, like if they invented a gas gauge, like FE, full to empty, but you could put it as a life meter over your heart, would your needle be pegged on F all the time? Mine, mine I admit to you, would not be. But we were made for that. God intended for us. He created us to live life to the full. Jesus said, I came to give you life, to lead you into the place where you live life to the full. Not only that your calendars are full, because we can manage that, but that your heart and your life would be full. We were made for that, and because we do not regularly experience that, we try for it. We try by our power to fill it up. We look for things that will fill us up. A lot of us have been guilty at one time or another in our life of thinking that if only I had this relationship, a friendship, a romantic relationship, a marriage that we have or a marriage that we'd like to have, then that would fill me up. But if you bring an empty heart to that and think there's one other human being that will fill you up, you are more likely to empty them than they are to fill you up. It does not create the fullness of life that way. You maybe seek fullness in your career, in your calling in life and what you do, and we were made, just as we were made for relationship and community, it's a good thing. We were made for meaningful work, for contribution in God's world. But if you're someone who has tried to find the fullness of who you are in what you do, you will know that it does not work. It's not going to fill your heart. It's not enough. Some of us are tempted to find the fullness of joy in more stuff. If I just buy this, if I have that, this has been my goal, I get that, that'll make me feel better. Life will feel fuller. And the truth of the matter is that actually works. For like a minute, it works. And then 30 days later, you've got a credit card bill. And 60 days later, 90 days later, six months, what you've got is a garage with more stuff in it that you've got to take care of or a storage room or a bedroom or a living room. And now you've got to buy more stuff to take care of the stuff you shouldn't have gotten in the first place. You don't feel fuller. You feel emptier. You're trapped by that stuff. And the really dangerous one, the one that, that trips us up, that tricks us, is that I think sometimes we think that if we participate in religious activity, that will fill us up. Wait, aren't you the pastor? Aren't we supposed to do that? Isn't that how that works? But when we try to do that by our own power, when this becomes a, a self-driven, human-driven project, it just makes you emptier more than it makes you fuller. It does not produce the fullness of kindness of our spirit and generosity and love and joy. Sometimes it does just the opposite. There is such a thing as life to the full but a lot of us are not breaking through it. A lot of us are not experiencing it. One, one of Jesus' earliest followers, uh, a guy whose name is Paul, he gets called St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the tent maker Paul, his name was Paul. Saul sometimes too, just to make it confusing. He, he wrote a letter to another early Christian leader and he used a phrase for this that has been echoing around in my head since the first time I read it or heard it and I think it will probably be in my head until I die. He used the phrase, the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. The reason that that really sticks in my head is because it implies, it reminds me that there is a life that is only pretending to be life. 
There is a life that is a reasonable copy of life, or at least it looks like it on the outside. And because it is a good enough copy, it must be a good enough copy, or we wouldn't settle for it. But we do. I do. Instead of the fullness of life, I, I settle for the fullness of things to do, for the fullness of calendar, for the fullness of agenda. We get real busy. We manage what needs to be managed. Depending on your personality, you either work yourself to death or we entertain ourselves to death. And then we just do the same thing again the next day. But at some point, you go, there has got to be more to life than this. This, this cannot be the fullness of life. There is a life that is truly life. How do we get there? How do we, how do we break through to that? How do we receive the breakthrough of God and the fullness of life in Jesus Christ? Today and, and in this series that we're kicking off the fall season with, we're going to be learning from a story that we read in both of our worship services already today. We're going to read it kind of piece by piece. It's kind of a long story. And it's a story of two guys, maybe especially the story of a guy named Cornelius, and then the influence of one of Jesus' early followers whose name was Peter. And I think that we can learn from their interaction and from the life story, as far as we know it, of this guy named Cornelius and how it was that he learned to receive and experience and live in the breakthrough of God in his life. Cornelius was a guy who had a lot going on right in his life. If you had met Cornelius, you would think that guy's fairly full. Like things are going pretty well for him. Cornelius, he lived in a nice place. He lived in a beautiful location. He lived in a city called Caesarea Maritima, which, which means Caesarea by the sea, the, the king's city by the sea. I visited Caesarea by the sea three years ago when we led a trip to Israel. We're going to actually see it again in a few months. This is a picture that I took at Caesarea by the sea, right? Right there on the Mediterranean coast, beautiful place. He probably, we're going to find out in a minute, he had a good job. He probably lived in a nice home at a place where most people want a vacation, right? I mean, that's a hard life. He lived there at Caesarea by the sea. He had a good career. He was a military man. He was, in fact, advanced in rank in the Roman army, respected probably by his superiors. That's how he advanced. He had a good career going. And, and Cornelius, it even seemed, was, was a, per, a person of some character. He was a person of prayer. We find out he was, a, he was a praying guy. And he also was civically and generously and religiously minded. He gave gifts to support the poor of the city. You would go, man, Cornelius, that guy kind of has it together. But there are some pieces, some really important pieces that are missing. And I'm just going to read you his story as it's recorded in the book of Acts, the first eight verses of his story. It's Acts chapter 10, and then we'll kind of come back and make a few observations. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion. That means a commander of a hundred soldiers in what was known as the Italian regiment, part of the Roman army. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And then one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius, like you or I might do, stared at him in fear. <laughs> what is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa, which is kind of the next town down the coast. Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Can't we just call him by his name? But Simon, who's called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, a different Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. 
Now, there's a really important piece of Cornelius' experience that we might miss, that you might misunderstand if you don't know the history or the context of the story. Cornelius was the kind of person that in the first century, especially among the early Jewish Christians, everyone who wrote the New Testament, that in the first century, he would have been known as a God-fearer, a God-fearer. This is sort of an interesting group of people who are kind of in this split state, this life intention, where they were seeking God, and, and sometimes they prayed to God, and they tried to do some things that were godly, like they cared about the poor, especially the Jewish poor, because they thought those were the people of God but yet they never really broke through. They never really knew God. They never really gave their lives to walking entirely in God's ways. And one of the ways that we know about Cornelius' status is to know in the first century about his background. It tells us there that he's an Italian or a commander of the Italian uh, regiment in the Roman army. Now to you and me, at first we're like, okay, he's Italian, I'm, Jew I'm German, whatever. You know, I mean, it's, we all have our nationalities. But in the first century, that would have meant like, oh, right, a Gentile, a, an outsider, a, a pagan, in fact, a Roman, the people who oppressed us, and not only a Roman, but a soldier, and not only a soldier, but a commander of soldiers. Like, actually, who is this guy? Because on the one hand, he seems to care about God, and on the other hand, he's in cahoots with the enemy, probably has killed some of our people, oppresses us, brings this unjust regime to reign over our people. What's up with that guy? Cornelius would have been told and he would have believed, he would have known that by his status, he was fundamentally the wrong kind of person to receive and live in the breakthrough of God. In fact, I think Cornelius would have experienced that he was living a split life. He was living at least two different lives. There was the life that was seeking after God that knew that there must be something else there. And then there was the life that took up most of his life where he was still living in Roman ways and making lifestyle decisions that went along with that. And while he was praying to the living God of heaven and earth, he no doubt also prayed and made sacrifices to other gods. It would have been a natural part of his lifestyle. Do any of you know, because I do, I know what it feels like from my own experience to be living one kind of life in some days or in some company and another kind of life on other days or in other company. I don't, maybe some of you have experienced that living at least two lives phenomenon. And when that happens, I, I'll bet you Cornelius was not living in the fullness of life. I bet you if you could slap that life meter over old Corny's heart, I bet that needle would jump around a lot from day to day, but only rarely really get above halfway full. And there wasn't really anything he was going to be able to do about that. I, I think he was at his limit. I think he had gone as far as he could go. He was about as likely to break through to God on his own power as he or I was to run a four-minute mile. Wasn't going to happen. Not what wasn't there on the inside. But God was not done with Cornelius. Not any more than God is done with you or me. Cornelius was not going to break through to God, but God was going to break through to him. And it started small. It started by God sending a messenger to speak to Cornelius. And he saw a vision of an angel, which is probably clearer than many of us experience. But he sent this angel, and the word angel in the, in the Bible is the same word for the word messenger. Somebody carrying a, a message, a, a, a word from God to Cornelius. And the big message that God sent him was, you should send someone to Joppa and ask for Peter to come here. Which might have been a little bit like, seriously, that's the secret of life? You sent me an angel to tell me that? 
But it's often that way. You get like one step. Okay, I'll be obedient in that step. And then what do I do from there? And so he did. He sent these people to Joppa to get Peter to come back. It was like the first water through the dam. And Peter, we're going to learn in the coming weeks of this story as we read it together. Peter would come to Cornelius. He came up to Caesarea and he told him about Jesus, about the breakthrough of God in Jesus. He told him, the story tells us centrally about the death and resurrection of Jesus, how Jesus came and died, laid down his own power in solidarity with those of us who have no power, with those of us who are never going to reach God on our own. Jesus came into our predicament and died for us. And then God raised him from the dead and opened the door to life for everyone. He no doubt would have told him Jesus' message about the kingdom of God that the power of God, that the reign and rule and presence of God are entering our present order. This has come, the kingdom of God has come near. He would have said there are people, there are so many of us who are striving to reach God, to know God, to live God's way by our own power, but we are never breaking through. To try to live in God's breakthrough by your own power is like yelling at an apple tree more loudly to bear peaches. You gotta do it, but it ain't gonna happen. It's not right on the inside. Jesus said, a fig tree isn't going to bear olives, an olive tree isn't going to bear figs. But behold, the kingdom of God has come. And you didn't make it come, and you might have prayed for it, you might not, but God has done this. And God has poured out his Holy Spirit on this world, and the presence of God is here. And he is here to create by his power and to bring into your life, life to the full. The life that is truly life. And it is there for you if you want it, because he has brought it. And Cornelius was going to receive that invitation from Peter to live life to the full. Try thinking about that message this way for a second. All of us, every single one of us has a timeline of our lives, right? We live our lives from zero to whatever we get to, right? And I'll tell you, and I'm 41 years old right now, right? Which by, I don't, certainly no one knows what your final number is going to be. And sometimes it gets pretty high and sometimes it doesn't. But by most estimates, I'm about halfway there within a rounding error, right? And I got one shot at this, right? I got one shot at this. Christians like to talk about the, the cost of discipleship sometimes. We say that there's a cost to following Jesus with your life, with the timeline of your life. And that comes from some biblical language. And what it means is that it might cost you something to live your life Jesus' way. I think it sometimes has cost me reputation. I know there are people that I know in my life who think less of me because I'm a follower of Jesus. In some places and times in life, it could be people experience persecution being a follower of Jesus. At the very least, it's going to mean you're going to say no to one kind of life in order to say yes to this kind of life. You're going to leave some stuff behind to go this way. There's a cost to everything in life, and there's a cost to following Jesus. But you think about the timeline of your life for a second. I've been challenged to think about this a different way. What's the cost of non-discipleship to Jesus? What's the cost of not going that way? Here I am at this point in my life, maybe about halfway done, give or take, I don't really know. Here's what I know. I've got one shot at this second half, and maybe even more to the point for today, I've got one shot at this season. I've got one shot at doing this, and I could do it my way. I could do it in the life that pretends to be life. I could do it by my instincts, my vision for life, my power, or I could do it in the grace of God in Jesus Christ and by the power of his Holy Spirit. I can pick which one of those I want. There's a cost to go either way. What's the cost of that? When I think concretely, I think I've got one shot at living the 16th year of marriage to my wife, Amy. And I'll tell you, I could do it by my instincts and my vision and my power. And sadly, I confess to you that too often I do. Or I could do it in the grace of God and Jesus Christ for what I mess up and how I live and by his power. 
And there's a cost to making that choice. Which way am I going to go? But I got one shot at that. I got one shot at parenting the beautiful, wonderful, wondrous, mysterious creatures of God that are the children of my family in their seventh and fourth grade years. And I could do it my way or I could do it by the grace and power of Jesus Christ. And there's a cost to that decision. Either way that I go, I give up one thing to get another. I got one shot at the relationships in my life, the friendships, the connections I have in my neighborhood. One shot at my career, at my calling to be your pastor at this season in my life and your life and our life together right here. I don't want, I don't want to do that by my instinct and my vision and my power, but I could go that way. In all these decisions, God will let me and you go that way if we want to, at least for now. But let me ask you about your life, because you may be 41 like me. You may be 21 or 31, 51, 61, 91, 81, 71, one of those years in between, I don't know, maybe higher or lower than anything on that, on that scale. But what's the cost of non-discipleship to Jesus in your life in this season or for all those that are coming? What's the cost of not living in the breakthrough of God in life? of not living the life that is truly life, but living the life that is masquerading as life. Not living the life to the full that Jesus said he came to give and will give to us when we cannot break through to it on our own, but rather living the life that is half full, the needle that jumps around. What's the cost of non-discipleship to Jesus in your life? Today is the start of a journey together. We're calling it Breakthrough. Today and for the next four weeks, we're going to be learning together about the steps that we are taking together as a congregation, as a community of Christian people to try to live life together in Christ, to try to live together in the breakthrough of God, to grow in the life that is truly life. And over the course of this journey, I have no doubt in my mind that God will want to be speaking to you that God will want to invite you to next steps of life together in Christ. As God reached out to Cornelius, as he has done for thousands of years, and maybe you will see an angel who will tell you exactly what to do. I wish it were like that all the time for me. Often it's not. Often it's more of a prompting, a nudge, an invitation. And the other thing that it's like Cornelius is it's usually just one step where I would go like, okay, that kind of makes sense, but I'd like to see the next 10 steps. But the way that it works in my life is usually I get to see the steps after that once I've gotten a little bit closer. Take this step and I'll show you the next horizon from there. I believe with all my heart that God wants to call you into the fullness of life and invite you into next steps with him. And I can just give you a couple real quick that I can suggest to you as some of the next steps we're taking together as a church family. The first one you may already know, and that is show up next Sunday and for each week of this series. I think we're going to be learning from some really powerful material in the Bible together that guides our life together in Christ. When you show up to worship together, when we come together as a community, you as an individual, with family, friends, whatever, we come here to encounter God together, to engage in God's word together, to learn from his word and to be empowered for our life as the people of God outside this place. I want to invite you to make a commitment to that next step, to be here each week of this series. And then it may be you heard in the announcements in our service that we have this thing called a next step lunch that is next week. That's a kind of a new little ministry we experimented with in the spring and found that it was really helpful for people who want to go deeper, get more connected, find out what the next step is that they could take that would help them grow. And that's next week. And maybe you want to show up to that and find out a little bit more about what could be a, a more individual next step for you. 
And, and for everyone, I, I want to give you this one. I'll just close with this. And I want to invite you into prayer to God, asking for his breakthrough in your life and strengthening you to follow Jesus. So in just a second or two, I'm going to lead us in a prayer to close this time of learning from God's word. And I'm going to ask you to end that prayer out loud with me with these words. Jesus, breakthrough in me. Jesus, breakthrough in me. So let's practice that, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I'll let you know when it's time to all do it together. But let's try one time, all right? Jesus, breakthrough in me. Jesus, breakthrough in me. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, living God of heaven and earth, you know that we're stuck without you. You know what we're running through, how we might try to fill our lives, and we're not breaking through. There are barriers that we're not getting through on our own, but you break through to us. And we invite you into our lives. We would like to live in your breakthrough, in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit in this church family together. And we pray that you would do that by your spirit, that you would break through in us, that you would break through with your love and your grace and your power and your call, and that you would strengthen us and teach us, embolden us, give us the courage to follow. Whatever the cost might be, the cost of not knowing you is greater. We pray that you would break through in us and teach us to follow. Lord Jesus, we join our voices, and together we pray, Jesus, break through in me. Amen.